Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello, everybody. This is Sandy in cold Connecticut here in the middle of June. Um, I wanted to welcome you to... Last First Date Radio, we are one of the top-rated shows about attracting and sustaining healthy relationships, especially in midlife. And today, I'm excited to be speaking with author, speaker, marketing and social media expert, Matt Sweetwood, about what it's like to be divorced and middle-aged and dating in New York City. As a dating coach, many women come to me feeling really hopeless uh, after either a lifetime of unhealthy relationships or a string of relationships that are not working out. So I just want you to know if you're a woman listening to the show, if you feel like love happens to everybody except you, I want you to know that that's really not true and that love can happen pretty much to everybody, I believe. But you do have to learn a few things that you may not be aware of yet. And I certainly had to learn all that myself after my divorce. So what it all begins with is identifying your unhealthy patterns. If you have been in unhealthy relationships, you've got to really understand that the common denominator is you. And then learn a few new skills for honoring and valuing yourself more and how to have an authentic, deep loving connection because it really comes to people who reveal their true selves and increase their self-love and self-compassion and become a person of value. And every week I bring you a tip on how to be a woman of value. So this is not a show just for women, by the way, but I do focus my practice on women. So I have a whole series of tips on how to be a woman of value. And this week's tip is embrace your beauty. And The reason I love this one is because I think many of us are very self-loathing and we believe that other people are more beautiful and if I could only lose 10 pounds and be less wrinkly and whatever it is that you tell yourself. And I believe that we all have inherent beauty and that the more we can embrace it, the more confident we will be and confidence is extremely sexy. I'm going to ask Matt what he thinks about that in a minute. Um, So if you want to be a woman of value who attracts her best partner, it's important to also understand why a lot of men disappear. And that's why I created a guide that you can download for free over at my website about the top 10 reasons why men disappear. So after the show, go to lastfirstdate.com, and if you haven't gotten your copy yet, then go download a copy. And one last thing is just a short pitch for my private Facebook group. I was going to say my favorite Facebook group. Well, it it is my favorite because it's mine, and it's fabulous. We have such a beautiful group of women. Um, It's free. And it's positive and it's supportive. I don't tolerate unkind behavior. Um, I keep a very strong hold on the group to make sure that we follow group ethics and, and group rules. So this is called Your Last First Date. And the conversation there is going to really support you on your journey to true love. And now for our special guest, Matt Sweetwood. He is the CEO. 
CEO and president of BB Inc. in the United States. It's a fairly new company, and he can tell us a little bit about that. He is known for his innovative and transformative ideas in marketing and social media and business development. And he was president of Unique Photo, which is New Jersey's premier camera store for over 28 years. But his greatest achievement, he says, is having raised five successful children to adulthood as a single father. He is the creator of the Man Up Project, and he helps other men through fatherhood and life. And he is a regular contributor on national television and several publications and social media, photography, business, ethics, politics, and parenting. And I actually write for the Good Men Project, and so does Matt. Welcome to the show, Matt Sweetwood. Well, it's, I'm thrilled to be here. You know, there is a lot to unpack in how you how you began this discussion. Wow. Wow, there's a lot there. How long do we have? Oh my gosh. <laughs> we have a half hour and uh well I'm just gonna So do you want to start there? Do you want to start with uh, unpacking? Yeah. So first of all I wanna just I just wanna recognize my inner beauty right now. I'm going to just spend oh. a few seconds doing that. Um, so the reason it's sort of humorous right, is that you don't think of men actually doing that. But, you know, as men, we go out there, we face a lot of the same things, even though we don't necessarily verbalize them in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's just, you know, just the way men are configured. It, that's really what it comes down to. You know, we sort of keep this stuff inside, but we suffer the same kinds of things. You know, you go out, you suffer rejection. You don't know whether it's you or whether it's that. So anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your advice, and I'm going to recognize my own inner beauty during this entire interview. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. So we're coming from a place of beauty here today. Um, exactly. And um, did you want to unpack anything else that I that I talked about before we get into some Q and A here? No, no, let's go. Let's go ahead because it'll come out as we uh, as we sort of walk our walk our way through this. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Uh, yeah, so so tell us tell us your story a little bit more. I know that um, you've shared with me a little bit more about raising your children from the time they were very young when your wife left you. Um, so can you tell us a little bit what that, about what that experience was like, transformation that you had to go through in order to be able to be the father that you became? Yeah, I mean, so this is not something that anybody uh, plans for. You know, I thought of from uh, one thing we'll unpack from your introduction is you sort of said that we're going to talk a little bit about what it's like to being middle-aged, being a man, living in New York City and dating. Nobody ever expects that. I grew up in the generation where your success in life was measured by getting married, having two kids, a dog, you know, a white picket fence and a two-car garage. That was kind of what you aspired to in life. So if you had told me, you know, back way back when that I would be in my 50s and I would be sitting here in New York single, having raised five kids on my own, gone through two divorces, two, you know, pretty traumatic experiences in my life, I would be like, what? What happened? How did that happen? But mm-hmm. sort of cutting to the end of the story, I'll, I'll go to the end and then I'll come back. You know, the end of the story is it turns out it's really the best thing that ever happened to me. And that's really the story I tell in my book. I'm going to have a book coming out at the end of this year. Um, you know, I'm really excited about that because it's an opportunity to share these things in, in more detail. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. My wife, my first wife, uh, I was married to her very, very young. 
uh, young for me. I have very inexperienced in the dating process, didn't really know who I was getting myself involved with and ended up marrying the wrong person. And I'm sure for a lot of your listeners out there, I'm sure they have a similar experience, just a different path. And when you marry mm-hmm. the wrong person, you make the wrong choices. You don't recognize the red flags. I mean, in my case, the red flags were, you know, like red blankets that spread over the, you know, your entire king size bed. And, you know, you don't recognize those and you fall under the spell of people who have problems, you know, you go in the wrong direction. And so what happened to me was we ended up having five children relatively quickly. I'm sure you're, it's a complicated story on how that ended up happening, but it was something that she was very, very intent on doing. We ended up with the children. The marriage slowly started to deteriorate. Her mental condition started to deteriorate, and she ended up leaving us. And she left us when I was like 31 or 32 years old. So imagine, I'm 31 or 32 years old. I now have five kids to take care of, and I'm talking about ages 18 months through eight years old. I'm bankrupt. The court system is just punishing the living daylights out of me. My soon-to-be ex-wife is just, she is just trying to wipe us off the face of the earth, me and her children. I have no idea how to be a parent, how to be a mom or a dad or anything like that. I have no idea how I'm going to put the food on the table. And then personally, she was the first woman that I had ever dated, let alone, you know, married or anything like that. And so my confidence level was shot. I was convinced I was going to be alone the rest of my life. I had a life sentence in front of me. I had no idea. I didn't even want to take care of the kids. I didn't, you know, it's not something I aspired to. I I loved them, but it was not something I aspired to. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was lost. I was scared. I had a jail term. So I was a mess. And it's the process of digging myself out of that mess, the realizations that I had along the way, like the point where I realized, you know, hey, I could do this. I decided to stop feeling sorry for myself. I let go of my anger. I realized that my, the love that I had for my children and my desire to make them successful eventually was going to lead us into really good places. And this is a lifelong transformation of becoming going from a boy to a man, of realizing what's important in life, you know, understanding gratitude. You know, I write about all of this stuff, and I've written probably 60, 70 articles, you know, relating to this subject, you know, on my on my website and my stuff. So for me, it's been a lifelong transformation. And the end of the story is I'm sitting here in New York. Okay. So maybe the marriages haven't gone so well, but I feel extremely blessed. I have five adult children that are extremely close to me. Uh, They've all turned out highly successful. They are wonderful and kind and giving human beings. And it's really, you know, we're not at the ending, but it's really a, a happy story where I stand right now. And I wouldn't be in the position that I am right now if none of that happened to me. So I'm grateful for really about how it all came out. So I hope I know it's a little bit long, but I I kind of try to take us through the whole journey. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing the story. And I think what's really notable in your story is what lessons you learned. Because I was just talking about this with a friend today that – there are a lot of people who are victims for the rest of their lives. They, it's all how you see life. And crap happens to everybody, you know, some bigger than others. And when you can learn to have gratitude, when you can learn to see the blessing in the, in the pile of garbage, um, when you can really start to improve your life and realize why you ended up in these relationships and how 
um, how you can grow your self-worth because you slayed a bunch of dragons, that's when you really live a successful life. And so not everybody can do this. Uh, and when you can, it's it's good that you're an inspiration to other people and that you're putting your word out there. So I, I want to commend you on that, Matt. Yeah, thank you. I mean, but, you know, I feel like it was the only right course. You know, it's not like, you know, I appreciate you saying, look, I commend you for it, but I love my kids and I was desperate, desperate to have them be successful. And I became Mm -hmm. desperate enough to survive. And when you're desperate enough to survive, and this is what I say is that I found myself in what I call a big life. And you're right. I'm able to now use this and help people. And what I try to do is like you, I help people. I help people try to have a big life, to try to overcome the things that are facing them, change their thinking a little bit, to try to face, you know, what's out there, to be grateful for what you have. I mean, I have immense gratitude for all the things that have happened to me, and for me, that provides an immense amount of happiness. Yeah, so um, I I hear you, and, you know, I, I personally have also experienced tremendous and losing a child and going through a really horrific marriage and and um, you know as when my child was born people would say to me oh you're an amazing parent you know you have such a severely handicapped child and you're just you never complain and you're really there for him you advocate I'm like how what else am I supposed to do it didn't feel like a choice and so when you're talking about this it's, I think it, but that really speaks to personality, though. If you have a resilient personality and you, and you can't sit with pain and discomfort for very long, you are going to move forward. Um, so let's talk about... I think, it, I think it comes from desperation, though. I think, you know, if you, in, particularly in my case, if you love your kids enough, if you want them to succeed, you're going you're gonna to get yourself off that feeling sorry and feeling the pain, and you're going to realize that that's not going to, you know, get you a place where you or your kids need to be. Right. But still, I've seen many people not do that. Um, you know, I have yeah, no, friends I who grew up with depressed parents who spent their whole lives like in bed and not being the parent that they needed. So, yeah. So let's, um, let's talk about helping people. Cause you and I had a little discussion about that. Um, yeah. A couple months ago, you were talking about how on a Facebook live that you did, and then we'll get to the topic. Cause I know we can talk about anything here. Right. But, we want to talk about dating, um, right? right? We want to talk about yeah, dating. we are going to talk about that, but, but um, as a helper and we can, we can actually segue this into dating um, mm-hmm. So part of is being able to also receive help and ask ask for help and not just be the helper. So as a helper, are you finding it still very difficult to ask for help um, and to receive help? You know, this is a – I really appreciate this question because for me, I have never – been one who is very, who could very easily ask for help. And it's a chicken in the egg kind of thing. So I, I don't think that I've ever had anybody in my life that really has been able to provide me with significant amount of help. So I learned to be self-sufficient. On the other hand, if you don't ask for it and you don't seek out help, you know, it's not just going to appear there, I don't think, in front of you. You know, and this is, uh, this is a principle from the Torah, which says that, you know, it's an interpreted principle, but it basically says that you should seek out a friend in life. Everybody should have at least one friend in life who they can count on for everything. You know, count on, not for everything, but count on to lean on, to ask for advice, 
to do that and to seek out that. And I don't know, I've never been able to find that. And I'm always the person in the position to give help. But what I will say as a corollary to that is, and, and this also is sort of comes from the same place, is that if you, let's say, for example, you're, unha- you're unhappy about something that happened with your child. Like in your case, I, I can't even imagine losing a child. I mean, I, for me, it's the, I can't barely think about it. But imagine the pain, you know, you don't have to imagine, but the pain you feel from losing a child. If you then go and help other people that have lost children, you yourself will heal from that act. And I think for me, in my case, reaching out to other people and helping them has been my therapy. It has healed me. Becoming the teacher helps you understand the subject better. Helping other people actually helps you. And I actually now use that as a daily affirmation. So if I wake up and I'm actually feeling down, one of the ways that I actually can get myself up is go help somebody else who's feeling down. If you do that, you just naturally pick yourself up. And so I think for me, my help ironically has come from helping other people. Though myself as a person, even to this day, I don't really reach out to anybody for help. I kind of go at it by myself. It's the way I've spent, you know, 50 years of my life and it's hard to teach old dogs new tricks, I guess. Um, So I'm going to challenge you on that one. (laughs) Um, You learned a lot of new tricks in the last 20 years of your life. And, um, and so I believe you can learn new tricks. And here's, here's the rub. When you are always the giver and never the one who asks for help, you're actually taking away that opportunity from somebody else to give to you. And when you're in a partnership, any kind of partnership, it's a give and take. And, so I'm going to challenge you to ask for help this week and and be comfortable receiving it, or at least try to be comfortable receiving it. Will you take that on? Yeah, yeah we'll take that on. So, you know, one of, the, one of the areas where I have tried to improve upon that is in my businesses, you know, to reach out and ask for people and help. I have a few business projects that are struggling a little bit. And so actually I have done that and I'm going to take your advice and I'm actually going to apply it there because even there it's, it might be a smaller step, but even there, it's, you know, a place where I should, I should be doing that. So I'm with you. I'm going for it. All right, good. So the problem with, with growing up and not receiving the help you wanted or needed is there are two things, and then I'll get to the dating. But there are two reasons why you don't get the help you need, and one is you're asking the wrong people, and two, you're not maybe asking in the right way. So that's, that's, those are two ways that you can really improve the give and take of, of receiving help and giving help is by finding the right people who actually want to support you and asking in a way that they can hear it. And so that, that you, is you really... See, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you on that a little bit. See, to yeah, me, that kind, of, that kind of advice is sort of like textbook advice that you say to people to get them to change their behavior or change something like that. But life is a lot more complicated like that. And so it isn't necessarily that I'm asking the wrong people or asking in the wrong way. It's much more complicated than that because I already am at a level where I can handle most things. So my problems, when I hit a problem, are very, very complex. So finding the right person to ask or whether there actually is a person to ask is really at the heart of the matter. 
See, not everybody's at the same level, as you pointed out earlier, with, in all sorts of parts of their life, their ability to overcome and so on. So for me in my life, if I'm asking for help or if I need help on something, the problem is usually very complex or very deep. And so it's very, very difficult to actually find somebody, particularly who has the kind of life experience or wisdom that I would need to solve the problem. Because I've already thought through some of the basic stuff. Like I consider your your you give people advice, so you understand things. So for someone to help you, they got to be, you know, at least in a particular area, you know, they got to have something to contribute. And that person is hard to find. So when you say not asking the right people, well, finding a person who can help is sometimes more difficult. So I just want to say that that kind of general advice, I'm not a fan of it's because it needs to be tailored to the individual that you're talking to. So in the general sense, probably you're right. But in my sense, I'm not so sure that that's going to work. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, we could. This could be a very long discussion, but yes, it is. It is whole, important to find the right people. Yes, that could be a whole other show. But yeah, so let's right. let's get into the dating because I know we we can really end up talking about a hundred different things besides dating. Yes, yes. So tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about what is dating like for you right now. Um, okay, so I, I lived in New Jersey for a long time. You know, I had my business there. I sold my business. Uh, the kids moved out, you know, all doing their thing in one form or another. And so I had an opportunity. I kind of wanted to move into New York City. All the business that I was doing here, you know, made sense. It made sense for me to come in the city. I wanted to downsize. I like, you know, I like to be very minimal in my approach to life. So I moved into a very nice 700-square-foot, one-bedroom apartment here in Manhattan, where actually I'm sitting right now and looking out at the grisly, rainy view of lower Manhattan. And one of the advantages of doing that, and and this is what I found when I was in New Jersey, is that New Jersey, you know, northern New Jersey is, you know, just like I assume in Connecticut up there, is a suburban area where there's mostly married people, particularly, you know, in the middle age range. It's harder to find singles. And New York City is supposed to be a place where there are tons of singles. And that is actually true. Though what I will tell you is that the singles crowd in Manhattan is really a 20s and 30s crowd. There are a lot of older people that are also single, but it's much more difficult to interact with them. And that's because, I guess, you know, everybody has taken their their life course. So dating, while it has been numerous, finding quality dates is extremely difficult here, just like it is anyplace else. You know, and that's a function of as you get older, you know what you like, you know what you don't like. You know, you get more, every, both sides are more set in their ways. And, you know, so it's been a good run in terms of having your, I'll use a very manly expression, having a lot of shots on goal, but in terms of actually finding somebody who I can have a sustained relationship with, not so much anymore. That's why I'm still single and I'm still talking about this. So Mm -hmm. I would say that the dating environment here is good, but it still faces a lot of the same obstacles that you see, you know, in other places. Okay, that's fair enough. I understand that. And I think a lot of people think, well, I just want to say that I think a lot of people think when you move to a big city, you have so many more choices, so you're going to find it easier to find love. And uh, there actually is data that says the biggest cities have some of the most challenges because there is so much choice. And people tend to be a little bit more picky also. Yeah, and it's not, and I actually I shift a little bit from that. That's true. Everything you just said is true, but what I find really bothersome about the dating scene today 
is that, you know, and particularly internet dating, you know, all the various methods of internet dating really give people an excuse to do a couple of things. One is to treat people not so nice because you're really hiding behind your phone or your app or whatever it is. So you don't have to, you know, you could just stop talking to somebody. You don't have to, Mm -hmm. you don't have to say, look, you know, you know, there doesn't have to be any kind of formality. People realize that there's another swipe behind you. And so if even the slightest thing bothers them, they just give up. They just say goodbye. And there's that sense that no matter what you have, there's always something better coming along. And as a result, it creates a real churn in the dating environment. And then you add that on to, you know, New Yorkers themselves are a little bit tougher in some respects. And you have these funny kinds of, you know, interactions that, you know, are, are very surprising. Like one of the things that I see frequently. So if, you're, if I'm dating a woman who's in her late 30s, early 40s, for example, it is not unusual for literally in the first two minutes of the conversation for them to bring up children. Mm-hmm. Now, I find this extremely humorous because, you know, a lot of you, you're in a professional environment here. A lot of women have hit that age and they've not had children and they're looking to have families, which is really fine. I mean, that's certainly their choice. And certainly, you know, I wish them well and all sorts of like that. But it's just interesting to approach an initial interaction with that upfront. Now, one could say, oh, great, they're being honest. And they're, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you talked in the, in the beginning, unpacking a little bit of why men run. So if you go to a man and be like, I want to have a child with you, and you haven't even met yet, I, it's, I'm just telling you from a male perspective, it's going to chase a lot of us away. And so you see this sort of list, and it's not just about children, it's people have a list. The whole political scene has created a list. I actually wrote an article on women ruling out dating Trump supporters. So there's a whole mm-hmm. thing on social media, on, on the dating apps, where the women just put on their profiles, if you voted for Trump, swipe left. They don't even know you as a human being. They don't understand that you could potentially have, and I'm not saying how I voted either way. I'm just, just saying I, from a strictly dating perspective, this is bizarre. It's become essentially like, the, like worse than religion. People will date people out of their religion, out of their race, out of anything, which I, I believe is fine, of course. But they won't date you if you voted for somebody differently than them, and in particular if, you've dated for, if you voted for Trump. I find this inconceivable that they don't know you as a person and don't know anything and they really out. So they start with a list. You have to give them a child and you couldn't have voted for Trump. If they don't, they don't want to speak to you. And so you're, you're sort of like, it's like what kind of way to begin a relationship is this? I don't know. All right, I find so it kind of humorous. That I, I, I love hearing your perspective and uh, I can tell you as a woman, um, I can get, give you a little insight into why women do this. If you'd like to hear mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so women, women's basic core need in dating is safety. And this is what they want to know is, am I going to be safe with this person? Are they going to, um, am I going to be able to trust them? Because there's a lot of distrust in the dating world, especially as people get older and they don't learn the right lessons. They start distrusting everybody who's similar to an ex and um, and so if they've wasted time with the wrong people who 
were not interested in having kids. They want that information up front. Are you going to waste my time or are you going to give me a kid? (laughs) So it's not the right approach, but it's why I think so many people do it. And I think what people do need to learn and pay attention if you're listening to this show is don't lead with these heavy questions and um, because – you know, you can tell, I believe you can tell, if somebody's a serious dater or is a player. To me, that's the most important thing. I want to know that a person's going to treat me with respect and that we're both interested in, in a long-term monogamous relationship in the long term. But we don't know each other. I don't know if I'm interested in long-term monogamous relationship with a total stranger until I've gotten to know them. Um, but... So that's one of the reasons why women will do that. And the Trump thing goes on both sides because I see it on men's profiles too. And in in our particular political climate, and this is the first time this has happened, that people really associate Trump with a really bad character traits and they don't associate themselves with. And I think we're in a very, very different situation where people feel that if you aligned yourself with this man that you – have a different way of looking at the world than they do. Now, I agree with you that you do need to get to know people on an individual basis. And there's been tons of of panels of people who have voted for Trump where, you know, like Oprah had a whole panel of people and she interviewed people to see who were the different um, profiles of people who voted for Trump, and they're they're not all the same people. Obviously, there 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 are a lot of highly intelligent people who are not sociopaths and narcissists who voted for Trump. So, you know, just like you say, let's be open-minded as much as we can. I, I agree with you, but I do understand that people are trying to rule people out who are wrong for them. So, the problem right, is they the rule everybody out. The point I'm making out. is that they're crazy. Right, they rule it by exactly. You, 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 yeah. you, cut, you beat me right to it. The end result is that <laughs> they create a list. They create a list which actually has very little to do with what will ultimately lead them to that point of safety and happiness and love and a relationship. They've created a false list, and that false Correct. list creates this sort of hostile environment where you're – I mean, I've actually had interactions that have gone with, you know, hi, I'm Matt, hey, I'm Janice, and then Janice goes the following, what do you do for a living? I answer her, where do you live? Who did you vote for? Like this, boom, 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 boom. And then when uh-huh. you answer question six, they're like, she's like, she's literally stopped speaking to you. Doesn't know a um, thing about me. Yeah, again, <laughs> she's trying to figure out if you're in or out. And she's doing it in a way that pushes you out. You know, so this is the problem. This is one of the key problems with dating is that a woman will come away from that date and she'll say, wow, that Matt Sweetwood, he just he just got like shut down so quickly. You know, I think he didn't call me back because he was intimidated by me. And you're like, that woman just turned me off because she just conducted an interview and we don't have any connection at all so we're, we're no, everybody's right. so looking what, at what it i'm looking for i'm looking for as a man is i'm looking for a woman who's kind and compassionate and loving and caring and intelligent and all of those things i'm not looking for you know a, a prosecuting attorney oh i mean right. not that i have anything against a woman who's a lawyer i'm just saying you know that's not that's not a turn on that's not something that is that is going to is going to work for me and let, let me sort of like turn it the other way too is that 
women, certainly in Manhattan, prefer to date successful men. And you, when you're in a situation like that, it's like they, they don't sort of think it through that a successful man has choices. And so instead, and this, by the way, drives me nuts when I read dating profiles, is that the dating profiles for, now, I don't know, I don't look at men's dating profiles, so I'm sure you have a, a, a side of this, but I look at women's dating profiles, and all they do is talk about what they're looking for. Now, the way I view a dating profile is it's an advertisement for you. In other words, you're supposed to say what you have to offer. And I find in too many cases, women in particular are sitting there with their list of demands. Now, as a successful person, I mean, I'm a successful person. Look, I'm not saying that I'm the greatest catch on earth. That's not even the point. The point is, is that I have options. And they date in a way where they're like quizzing you and they're not telling you what you're going to offer. I like to approach a relationship to say, hey, look, this is what I am able to offer. You know, you do this on many levels, but this is what I can offer in a relationship. I'm expecting the woman to do the same. If she's there like, what are you giving me? What are you giving me? And not showing anything in return, or this is what I expect of you, and I don't really, can't really do that in reverse. I just don't see the point. And that's why, if you look at all the statistics, there are a very, very large number of single women, particularly in Manhattan, why single women outnumber men, why men are moving away from marriage, don't want to get married, and all the sort of the, the maladies that have occurred from this. And I think this is really a function of the attitude that a lot of people take towards dating. And, I've, and it's been unfortunate because I've seen it in all sorts of forms here, from the Trump thing to, to the making the list and where do you work and all of this stuff. And you're able to do that once again because you're not forced to be interacting with the person face-to-face. You can just swipe and move on to the next one and hope that something happens. And let me just add one more thing to that, is that New York City is also a very, very difficult place. Well, this is what really makes dating extra difficult here, is that it's very easy to entertain yourself here. So a lot of the women here have great lives. They don't really need to be in a relationship, and so they, they can have a social life here. There's just so many things to do that it's very, very easy to not do what it takes to have a relationship, which is much harder than just engaging in sort of a surface social life. And I think that actually comes into play a lot. And you see that a lot even when you go to date somebody is they're basically just fitting you in their social schedule instead of treating the relationship with a more serious note than you're just another date on the calendar of their social calendar. And then, of course, women lament that they don't have a relationship and they haven't found love. But I sometimes wonder whether they're really, in particularly in New York here, doing what it takes to actually find that relationship. Really good points, Matt. And, and I couldn't agree with you more. And I see it on my end, too. And I see it here in Stanford. I see it everywhere I go. Um, all these points that you make, and I, this is one of the areas that I help women in, is when I write their profile, it's, it's really about not just, you know, it's about their values, their character, who they are, what they bring to the table, and also what they're seeking in a man. It's not a bunch of demands. It's this is what you're going to get. This is who I am. This is what makes me really happy during my day. And um, it, it's, it's interesting also with photos, you know, Post photos of you doing something that makes you happy, not not photos of you just drinking with your friends. And 
But this whole social thing and the way that people busy themselves, um, it's actually, it's like a, a guard, I believe, that people yes, become so busy that they guard themselves from emotional, being emotionally open. And if only people could take those guards down and realize that, you know, what they're really seeking is the thing that they're actually pushing away, I think we'd have a very different dating um, we'd have a very different dating life in, in not just New York City, but everywhere. Um, so that, w- that would be lovely. And that kind of brings me back to asking for help and, and, um, and connecting in an emotional way. So in a relationship, you know, it's one thing to ask for help in, in a work situation. But when you're, when you're in a dating situation, to really be vulnerable and to let a woman know that it feels like you're fitting me into your social schedule, like it feels like I'm not a priority. And I want to be with a woman who is a priority, you know, and who makes me a priority. Um, I've actually said that to a man. He just was super busy, and his business was taking up all his time. He was forgetting that he had scheduled a date with me. And I just said, look, it it looks like you're too busy for a relationship right now, and I don't want to be on the bottom of the list, you know. I don't yo-yo. I don't do that. Um, Well, I mean, you can see it's going to happen right away, and they sort of do it in reverse. They're the attitude is like, well, if I have a relationship, then maybe I'll set aside the time for it. But right. It's not going to work that way. You know, when you're trying to set no. up a, when you're trying to set up a date with somebody, and you can't set up the date for seven days because they're occupied with everything during those seven days. I mean, how is that going to work? Okay, you know, you can have busy times when it's not possible. I get that, but it's like if your relationship was a priority, you would go do that. My favorite is I'm going to the Hamptons this weekend, or you know, I have. I have a meeting with my friends. It's girls' night out. That's a favorite of mine, by the way. It's girls' night out tonight. So, okay. Well, they should be spending time uh, with their girls, and you spend time with your guys. But if you're looking to find a relationship, then you've got to make it a priority. And, you know, I, I once was told by a guy way in the beginning when I first started dating after my divorce, he said he didn't think I had time to uh, time slot him into my life because I thought it was cool for me to talk about how busy I was and you know I because I was creating my life again I mean it was it was a lot of accomplishments that I had you know accomplished but that's not what a guy really needs to hear like he you know it's nice that I have accomplished a lot but like that's not relational that's work and work is not the sexy part of the relationship it's it's leading with those qualities that you said, and I want to just bring it home here, that the kind, compassionate, caring, loving woman who has all those other qualities, but she leads with those feminine traits of kindness and love and compassion and warmth, not, you know, here I am, I bulldoze at work, and I'm going to bulldoze you on a date. You know, and I think a lot of this comes, and, and I'm going to try to say this as delicately as I can, is it comes from sort of the way that men and women approach dating when they're younger. So, and I'm going to tell you, this is going to sound a little bit mean, but what happens is, is sometimes you go out with a woman, you know, you go out with a, a woman, you know, middle-aged woman, and she still has the attitude that she's the 22-year-old prom queen and all the guys are chasing her all over town and she has to do nothing. And it's like I'm trying to, you're trying to convey to them that I'm going to have a relationship by choice. 
I'm not having a relationship with her because I'm desperate to have a relationship with her because I absolutely have to have this. I'm doing it because I want it. I want to have a relationship with somebody that's going to, that's going to add to my life too. And a lot of, I find a lot of women date with that attitude. It's like, what are you going to do for me? I don't have to really do anything. This is the way my life has gone. And it creates kind of this, you know, you're just not attracted to them. It's like, what for? I, I'm a, I, have, I love being alone. I have a very productive life. I do a lot of great things when I'm alone. I write. I produce videos. I work. I help people. I do all sorts of things. So if I'm choosing to have a relationship because I think it's going to add to my life, not because I absolutely need to or I need you or whatever the case is. You, the, I think the idea is to make yourself needed. I don't know. Maybe it's just an old-fashioned way of thinking. But like I said, I see this a lot. And I just don't, I, I see it actually in the vast majority of cases where people are just not putting themselves in a position where they're trying to make themselves valuable to another person so it gives the relationship a chance to exist, particularly when you get older. You know, we're not driven by hormones anymore. We're driven by a much deeper concept of actually having a relationship. And if your partner has no interest in providing that, I just don't see how a relationship can exist. I hear you loud and clear, and I don't think that was mean. I think that was truthful, and you know, it doesn't. It's not going to describe every woman who's listening to this show, but there are a lot of women out there who don't really convey what they're willing to give in a relationship, just what they want to get to be happy, um, and also that they don't really need a man. And I think we're in a very different time right now. Like in the old days, hundreds of years ago, people actually of needed course, each course, other in different ways. And so people are much more independent. So independent women and men really have more of a challenge in dating than people who are more codependent. And it's a healthier relationship when you have two independent people come together for the right reasons, but it is, it's not as easy as people think. So, so we have some challenges you know, I think to that overcome. Is an, I think that's an amazing point, actually, is that sometimes that even the slightly unhealthy codependents helps keep a relationship together better than when it's more cerebral, when it's like, look, you know, we're really good partners. You know, we really care for each other. We love each other. And we're going to form a partnership out of this because it really is beneficial to both of us. That relationship, mm-hmm. I think, in some respects requires more work, more thought, more planning, and particularly the people are independent, you know, and successful on their own. I agree with you. That relationship actually is, I think, what we all want to strive for. But in some respects, it's harder to find and harder to maintain. Yeah, which makes it more special when you find it. So that's what we're all hoping for. Um, (laughs) And I also want to just address the the, the 30s and 40-year-old women that you're dating who want children. um, Why date women that young if that is where so many of them are? And um, and then we'll end with that that question. That happens frequently. There's a lot of single moms. There's a lot, you know, in that age range too, of course. Mm -hmm. And. You know, and so I'm just giving you a particular anecdote. I've just seen it. It's happened a few times, so I just think it's really kind of funny. You know, the first time, <laughs> the first time it, I just sort of let out some sort of, like, like uh, I, I think it was like two sentences into a discussion. She, she turned to me and she said, do you want to have children? I said, do, do, do you want to have more children? I, I, I think it was my, my instant reaction was, well, I'm not sure, but we can practice as much as you want. She didn't actually find <laughs> that as humorous as, she didn't find that as humorous as I did, but in any event, I like that. It sort of That's a good me, answer. <laughs> it, 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 took me, it took me by surprise. 
you know, to do that. But so I'm not saying that why date women, I'll date women, I'll date any woman that I'm attracted to or meet to, but I'm, that's typically the age range that is available. Like if you look at the number of singles available, it basically, I, I don't I don't I haven't looked at the statistics, but it basically goes down as you get older. So it's just a sheer numbers. It's a sheer numbers game. That's all mm-hmm. it is. There's, I, there's many, I find many, that hard to believe. I, I don't know the statistics either, but yeah, we have so many divorces after, you know, 40, 50, 60. That, I mean, we have so many more singles in the older age range today. But again, I'm not going to challenge you on that because I don't have the numbers in front of me. But, um, yeah. you know, I think I think we just have to understand that if, if you're finding the same problem over and over again, then, then it's important to look at the issue yeah, and no, it's not the same problem. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's all sorts of problems. I just was using that one because I, was, it, I think it's a really good way to illustrate the fact that women are, are not approaching men in a way that's going to attract them. I mean, coming at a man who you haven't met and asking him whether he wants to have children, it, you know, is kind of like, I, I'm going to guess that most men are going to be chased away by that tactic. That's basically what I'm saying. Absolutely. And and I think what we really have to remember through all this is that we're we're building relationships. We're not going into instant relationship and finding out the end of the story before we even start. And we wouldn't do this in business. You wouldn't shake somebody's hand and say, I mean, some people do. I, I actually just uh, disconnected from somebody on Facebook who his first message to me was trying to sell me something. 